Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. I want to deal with something that is in my heart. Um, I felt like God deposited it when we were talking in the, that colored room over there. They called it a green room, but it, it's not green. It's just. But before I do, I'd like to share a parable with you. Uh, a Jewish couple by the name of Shlomi and Esti, they go on a vacation all the way across the world to Thailand. They're having a great time until one day they get into a fight. Shlomi goes on a walk on the beach by himself to cool off. While walking, he looks down to see an old-fashioned oil lamp in the sand. You know where this is going? He picks it up, and as he rubs it off the sand, a genie appears. My master, the genie says, I can grant you one wish. Tell me what you want. Shlomi pulled out his phone and shows the genie a map of Israel. This is Israel, he says. There's always conflict there. Make peace between Israel and all its neighbors. The genie says, you think we haven't heard of the Middle East peace problem? This is far too complicated for a simple wish. Ask me for something reasonable. Shlomi then takes, he thinks about his argument with Esti, his wife. And he says, okay, my wish is to understand the mind of a woman. The genie looks at Shalom and says, show me that map again. <laughs> I just love that story because I'm, I'm married to a woman. And uh, it has been, can I have my Bible? A guy said, if you're going to preach a good message, be sure to have a Bible around. So I have one. This morning we were at Trinity Church and... Trinity Church is being suffused in glory. Um, they were sharing testimonies of the miraculous things that were taking place, blindness, neuropathy in the feet. And then they had a video clip of a woman who had come in. She had had a stroke and she was in a wheelchair. And God touched her and she was up out of the wheelchair and they were asking her to give her testimony. And, and, she, and he said to her, how do you feel right now? She said, I feel like running. He said, well, I'll run with you. And I'm telling you, by the time she started moving across that stage, she was walking at first, and then she moved from the walk to a trot and then to a trot to a full-blown. Can I tell you, there was nobody in that room who was acting like they see that all the time. Because I believe the extent to which you are willing to celebrate even the slightest thing, you're going to see even more. I want you to do something with me, please. Use your Bibles today, okay? And I'm just going to ask you to go to a couple of passages of scriptures. And, and I would love to get you to commit to something to see if it works. I'm at Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. You're going to need a Bible. And um, I'm sorry, Cole, but the notes that I sent you are no longer relevant. <laughs> they, they expired this morning. 
Verse 26. He was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and he goes to bed at night, gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows how he himself doesn't know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the mature grain in the head. And when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. We make a mistake if, in, in hearing this parable if we think the kingdom of God is like a man. The kingdom of God in this parable is like the whole picture of activity that's going on. The kingdom isn't just like a man. It's like a man who casts seed upon the ground and he goes to bed at night and he gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows how he himself doesn't know. The soil produces crops by itself. The, the translation says itself, but this word is not just a neuter. The word that's translated itself can be translated itself or herself. The soil is what receives seed. And I heard a guy say just a, few, just a few weeks ago, he says, the only way to stop something from taking place is to plant a seed. Stop a cycle by planting a seed. You all have that. It's biology and some of the other things would help you with that. You plant a seed and the cycle that produces babies stops because now you have something that's going on. He plants a seed. And I want you to notice, please, it says he plants the seed and he puts it in the soil and he goes to bed and gets up by day. The seed sprouts. Say it, please. And does what? Grows. The seed sprouts and grows. First, the head first the head then are you do you all have a bible here i'm at i'm at chapter 4 mark 27 now the seed sprouts and grows how he himself does not know i've learned this seed trains the soil seed trains the soil. When you plant seed in soil, there's a nutrient that the seed has to have for its particular identity. And so it says to the soil, I need this from you. I need this from you. I need this chemical from you. And I was sharing that with a medical professional. And I said, what do you think of that? He says, he said, that's interesting. I thought it was more interesting. He said, but can I tell you what we've learned over the years is that we used to try to figure out how a mother's milk can change its chemistry over a period of time. And I said, well, how do they do that? He says, we've discovered that the saliva from the baby's mouth communicates with the mother's brain through the nipple and says to her, tomorrow, could you add some of this to the milk? And I said, oh, oh, yeah, that's a little better than the seed training. <laughs> so I said, I said, oh, yeah, dang. 
What is it? And the part that I'm trying to get to is this. The earth brings forth of herself. Come on. What's the first thing? First, the blade. Do you, do you remember in, in the, I, th I think one of my sons stole this uh, analogy from me, but I like people who steal from me because they're saying something you have is worth it. <laughs> but I, when I went to first grade, one of the things that they taught us was this whole idea of how plants grow. And so they gave us this little Dixie cup with a little dirt in it and put a seed in it and you watered it and your name was on it. And you'd come in every day, look at it. And nothing was going on. You, next day you look at it, nothing was going. And then suddenly you see this little green shoot come up and you get all excited. Is that all there is? Oh, no, no. That's just the beginning of the harvest. Here's, here's what I'm saying that you're about to see some things come up that are not necessarily the full expression of what God has. And the point for me is that if you're waiting for the orchid to come into full bloom, you're going to miss what God's doing on the way. You shall remember all the way that the Lord led you. There's a journey in you. There's a journey in your heart that God's put there and you're walking this path with him and he's saying to you pay attention to what you're learning in this season give attention to it don't forget what's what's going on behind you it's that testimony of the goodness of God in another season that makes you forted you are fortified for something that's over here waiting for you and you got to be able to say he did it here and all you are is a bigger version of the same thing. And I'm, I'm unwilling to be afraid of you. I'm unwilling to stop on the journey just simply saying, I never saw that coming. Joseph had a dream. And that dream was an amazing dream. And he was so filled with it. And he, he was overflowing and shared with his brothers. He says, let me tell you about a dream I had. And they said, tell it. And he told it. And the dream said, I'm going to be your boss. And they didn't like it. And then he had another dream in which the stars were bowing down before him. And what does that mean? I'm going to be your king. And they didn't like it. And when you tell people who aren't ready for your advancement... <clears throat> to adjust and make things difficult for you. And so Joseph sees his brother. He's going to see the brothers, and the brothers see him coming, and they say to one another, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him and see then what becomes of his dream. They tried to kill the dreamer. But if you can't kill the dream, you can't kill the dreamer. And so he presses through. And when, he, when he's in the pit, sold out, he's naked, and his brothers are thinking about how to kill him and get away with it, and Joseph is in the dream, he's in that pit, and he's thinking to himself, boy, I never saw that coming. And then he's sold into slavery, 
sold into Potiphar's house, and God meets him there, and the favor of the Lord is with him, and all of a sudden, the wife of Potiphar tries to make a move on him, and Joseph simply says, can't do that, and so he has to go to jail. Now he's in jail, and he can say, never saw that coming, and then one day, they call for him out of the prison to come and meet with Pharaoh. Pharaoh drapes a gold chain around his neck, puts some ornaments on him, and gives him, here, this is your throne here. You know what he said when he sat on that throne? Never saw that coming. You can't see what's coming unless you realize what's back there. Because the scripture says the word of the Lord tried him. And it's, it's you coming to a place where, hey, if we can see a seed, then something else is coming. If we can see the blade, celebrate the blade. Don't wait for the full harvest to come. If your kid who has been violating your house one day comes and says, can I go to church with you? Don't be skeptical. Celebrate the blade. You don't know how it's going to come out. Don't call him to preach yet. Just be happy that he wants to go to church for the first time. And when, when teenagers say, I don't want to go to church, and you're buying food for them and putting clothes on their back, you don't have to accept that. In fact, look at them like, like Celie did in the color purple. <laughs> and she does like this. Only when you do it, you just say, come a see, yaka. They'll wear a tie. Something's, something's coming, and you've been waiting for it. So let me come back to what I was saying. The pastor of the church said, where is the precedent for something to take place for the first time in the Bible that you don't have Bible for? And he was talking about the woman who had the issue of blood. What prompted her to go and touch Jesus? What caused her to reach out? And I think the thing that I'm looking at is this. I think desperation determines precedence. There are some things people are doing for the first time because that's all they've got left. And it's, it's, it's built into this, this suppositional word called if. If. She doesn't know what's going to take place, but she says, if. If I can just get to that thing right there, that, that tassel that's hanging off in that prayer shawl, if I can just get to the prayer shawl, I know I can see myself being made whole. Now look, there's all kinds of Bible. I shouldn't say all kinds, but there's enough Bible to say she shouldn't have touched him at all in her condition. But there are moments in your life when you got to, I don't want to say to hell with the Bible, but, 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 but essentially it's what people say when they say, I know the Bible says I shouldn't do this, but you know what? I'm desperate. And when you get to that, look, Jesus didn't rebuke her. He, he didn't say, who touched me looking for the culprit who touched them that violated the word of God. He's looking for the person that was, was bold enough to step out of the thing that she was walking in for a long time, find an answer for herself. 
And you know what follows, what follows that particular thing is that from that story on, there are, there are other stories in the gospel where, where people begin to say, if we can just touch. They gathered around just wanting to touch his clothes. Somehow, her testimony of victory, her testimony of deliverance brought something to not just her, but it's her, her, him, her, her. They're all trying to... They're just saying, I don't need him to touch me, but if I can just touch him. Precedent. How did you get where you are? Listen to the stories of some people about how they came to know the Lord, and you will discover certain things. And I want to just share with you just for a few more minutes, because I know you have to be out of here by when? (laughs) This is the night service. (laughs) Let me do this. If you read the Bible and you're very careful in reading it, you'll discover that there are things that are going on right now that were exactly like they were going on thousands of years ago. In fact, there's a passage, a particular translation, I think it's Proverbs 1, but the translation says, how long will you be stupid? My, my pastor, when he was growing up, he, he was trying to be cool, but he, you can't be cool and white in Mississippi. And so, and he would frustrate his dad, who was a real solid preacher. One day he said he did something so stupid, he ended up with his car in the ditch, and his dad walked over to him, and he had a hat on, pulled down over his ears. And he said, the first thing that my dad said to me was, son, take your hat off. Just take your hat off. And then looked at him, he said, boy... You have enough ignorance to ignorance the whole world. (laughs) Watch the news if you can stomach it. But maybe you need to stop. But look at what's taking place and then read the chronicles. Read the journeys of kings who did good and kings who did bad. And there are more kings who did bad than kings that did good. Read about Solomon who God said to him, because you have asked me for wisdom, I'll give you all the wisdom you need, and I'll give you all this you need. And, and, and he had it. And he, he took that wisdom and put it to the side and started doing stupid things. Stu- Look, I'm saying to you, intelligent people can do stupid things and think they make sense. And you end up with a guy who writes a book called Ecclesiastes. And you're, anybody ever read Ecclesiastes? You ever read and just say, what the heck is he talking about? Everything is, it's all foolishness. It's all futile. There's just, there's no end to it. And you work really hard and you, and you find out you're, you're going to turn it over to a fool. Now, he's already seen the fool because it's Rehoboam, and so he knows it's not going to be good. But look at the scriptures and, and realize how many kings saw somebody do something crazy, and they said, I'm going to try that too. Or you don't have to do that. Just go to, uh, what's that program, you guys? You know, you're, you're watching it. No, you don't watch it all the time. It's, a, it's one of those multimedia things. What's it? TikTok or? Huh? Yeah, TikTok. TikTok. 
People are doing stupid things. Just watch it. Just TikTok is discipling the morons. People who were once intelligent are now morons because they're doing stuff that they saw on TikTok. How long will you be stupid? How long? How long? Just, just say these words with me. Say, in Jesus' name, I renounce once and for all the spirit of stupidity. Let it no longer be a part of my life. Now, now cough three times. <laughs> now go with me to Romans chapter 15. Hurry up. Romans 15. Say precedence. Paul says, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. I want you, everybody to read verse 4 with me. Come on. Whatever translation you have, except amplified, because it's too loud. All right. Here we go. Verse 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through persons and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, keep in mind that for for decades, the New Testament church only had the Old Testament. And Paul is saying, and this is what he's calling scriptures. He says, whatever was written in the scriptures was written for who? Our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of Scripture, we might help. So I'm reading the Bible, and I'm saying, God, where are the answers that I need to have? When people say throw away the Old Testament, they're throwing away most of the understanding that they have about the goodness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. You can't have half a Bible. You won't know how good God has been over the years, over the decades, just by reading the New Testament. You can say, well, that Jesus is all right, but where did he come from? He's the one that was walking through the earth over the years when when the, the prophet Micah said, and you, Bethlehem, out of you will come that person who has been walking through eternity all around. It's like Jesus isn't new to earth on the day he was born. He's, he's been here. He's been around. He understands what's taking place. And he's moved so that when the bush is burning, he's in the bush. It's not the bush that's burning. It's the person on fire in the bush that's causing Moses to turn aside and see what's going on. You ever think about that? Here's Moses for 40 years doing stuff in the desert, and one day he sees a bush burning. And then two days later, it's still burning. Um, (laughs) Oh, you thought he went aside right away. Y'all don't. And it's burning again. And it's still burning. He says, man, that bush has been burning for two weeks. I will turn aside now and see this great sight. It's who's in the bush that's causing it to burn. And when you come near the bush, it's not the bush talking to you. 
It's the Lord of the bush and of you and your bushes. And he says, hey, take off your shoes. Now, when a bush starts to talk to you and you stay there, you're a courageous person because that bush is going to ask you to do other things that are even more ridiculous because your rod is going to become a snake and you're going to run from it. And he says, oh, come back, pick it up. <laughs> yes. So here's this story. Here's this story in the scriptures. And Paul says to us, it was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Turn quickly to 1 Corinthians 10. Just a little faster. All right. 1 Corinthians, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Baptism didn't start in the New Testament. It started when Jesus led the children of Israel through the waters of baptism called the Red Sea. The cloud speaks of the Holy Spirit. The, the water speaks of baptism. Moses is a type of Christ, and you come under Moses' leadership, and the journey is to take you into a place called the wilderness, not the promised land. Wilderness is where you have to get going because you need to get wilderness training so that you can handle what's in the promised land. So they got baptized in Moses, under Moses, in the name of Moses, under the cloud, and in the sea. And then he says they all drank the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. A rock followed them for 40 years. Now you prove that to me and say that didn't happen right there. Verse 5. Nevertheless. Doesn't that scare you? Nevertheless, with many of them, he wasn't happy. And when God's not happy, he'll kill you. Well, I'm going to read the rest of it because you shall remember all the way that the Lord's going to lead you. He says, now these things, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. That means they were killed. Verse 6 now, these things happen, why? As examples for us, why? So that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. There are some examples in Scripture that are designed to teach you, don't do that. Don't do that. That'll get you killed. All the scriptures are saying to us that are a lot of things, and I'm seeing in the scriptures on a regular basis because the more I'm reading this Bible, this whole Bible, the more the Holy Spirit who wrote all of it is speaking to me about things that are absolutely irrelevant and is shocking me. And I'm, I'm looking at him just saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, that's what that is. Look at verse 7. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now let us, nor let us act immoral. And then he goes on to say certain things, but read verse 11. Written. Come on, read verse 11. Loud, come on. Now these happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age come. Now go with me to a really incredible passage in 1 Kings chapter 13. 
First Kings. Actually, I want Second Kings. I get confused sometimes. <laughs> I'm at verse 14. 13, 14. When Elijah became sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him and said, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. And he took a bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. Then Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the window toward the east. And he opened it. Then Elisha says, Shoot. Everybody say, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, even the arrow of victory over Aram, for you will defeat, come on, you will defeat the Syrians at, at Aphek. I want you to notice verse 14. He walks into the room and he says these words, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Where was that statement made? Elsewhere in the scriptures. It's when Elijah saw Elisha go up in the chariot and he declared, my father, my father. It's, it's, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, well, at least he has enough discernment to know that he's in, a, in an atmosphere in which something transferable can take place. He's seldom, he says, you're about to leave here. The horsemen, the chariots of Israel, the horsemen thereof. And so Elisha, Hears something in this guy and says, all right, he's ready for prime time. And he says, shoot this arrow. And the arrow goes out. And he says to him, this arrow that you've just shot is an arrow of victory. And you will defeat the enemy at Aphek. And he says, all right. And then he says, I love this part. He says, now, verse 16. 18. Then he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground three times. No, it didn't say that. He just said what? Strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. So the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram and you would have destroyed it. But now you shall strike Aram only three times. Have you ever meditated on this passage? When somebody says, strike the ground, and they don't tell you how many times to strike the ground. Right. I, I, I just say, hey, he did good. And I said, God, why is he angry with him? And I thought like the Lord says, because he's not able to discern that he is in a moment in which he can have complete victory if he's willing to step beyond his passivity. Wow. See, here's what the passage is teaching. I think the passage is teaching, don't do like he did. If God says strike the ground, how many times should you strike the ground? Until he says that's enough. But until he says that's enough, just keep on praying. For the Lord is nigh. Just keep on praying. He'll hear your cry. For the Lord has promised and his word is true. If you keep on striking, he'll answer you. There's got to be a point where you say, I'm going to keep on pounding on this ground because this is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. 
We don't fight our battles. It's just, well, we, we had prayer meeting. It was really nice. Well, what happened? I don't know, but yeah, I mean, we, just, we just felt good. Look, there are some things that aren't going to be dead until you make sure that they're dead. When, when David, and, and, this, and this to me is unprecedented, the way David fought Goliath, nobody had ever fought a giant like that before. And he was given something that people had successfully fought other kinds of battles. But the kind of stuff that Saul and the rest of the folks had, they didn't have the need or the ability to deal with a giant who had stuff that was three and four times the size of all of them together. And so David, when he says to Saul, he said, I really can't handle this stuff. I know you, you do good with this, but I'm not good at it. At heavy armor, you know what I'm saying? I, I can't even walk in this stuff. He says, what are you going to do? He says, I'll do it my way because I'm remembering all the way that the Lord led me. And when God reminded me of the time that a bear came after my father's flock, and I asked myself the question, do, would, you re, would you rather meet your dad or would you rather deal with the bear? And I just looked at the bear and said, man, I'm sorry, but my dad is bigger than you and I got to kill you. And he said the same thing to the lion. And so when he gets to, to Goliath, he's saying, you're just a bigger form of the lion and the bear and the same God. My, I've got a history. Me and God, we've got history. You've got something going. In any time you can look back and see a moment in your life in which God delivered you and you can't figure out why, don't worry about why. Just keep asking him to do the same thing. God, you remember what you did back over there. I, I don't know. I don't know what I said. I don't know what kind of prayer I prayed. I don't know what kind of thing I articulated, but just go for the record, God, and say, do the same thing. I think the problem with this king was that he, he had done this. Do you know in the military, when a really mean uh, staff sergeant says, he'll say something like this, when I say jump up, if I don't say jump up and down, when I say jump up, you stay up until I say come down. <laughs> I believe when God says strike the ground and he doesn't give me a number, then you strike the ground until God says, now I've heard you. Now I hear you. Now I understand. Now I realize that you're willing to go the second and third and fourth and fifth mile to get it done. When David said to Goliath, I'm taking you out, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit you in the head. David's ability with the sling was born out of his experience with the Benjamites who could, with their left hand, throw a rock through a slingshot. Not that one of those little deals here, but you pull back. But this one has momentum. Because when you release it, the record shows that a rock could hit you at the speed of a 45 caliber bullet. And the accuracy of the Benjamites was that they could, hear, they could hit a hair's breadth from about 100 feet. The width of the hair. Have you ever seen anybody do that before? Then you ought to be amazed by that. You ain't ever seen it. With the hair? Yeah. Saul is standing there. He's a Benjamite, but he has no clue as to the gifts and the weapons that God has entrusted to him that would enable him to look at, hey guys, don't worry about it. Saul is bigger than David. 
He's the tallest man among them, and he's hiding in the tent because he just looks too big. David sees Goliath. When Saul sees Goliath, he sees somebody too big to kill. David looks at him and says, with the head that big, I can't miss. And he starts that, and, and, and Goliath, he's de- demeaning him. He's disdaining him. You let a cherry cheek Trump, I'm going to take you and feed your flesh to the birds. And you're coming after me with a stick. He couldn't see the rock. And David says, now here's the deal. You're an uncircumcised Philistine. And we don't need to go into what that means in polite <laughs> He says, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you out. You're going to fall. I'm going to come, and I'm going to cut your head off. Now, if you read the text, you'll read the text where it says, and David killed him. And then he came up to him, and he killed him again. And then he took his sword and cut his head off, and he killed him again. It's like David is saying, by the time I get finished, you ain't getting up from this whooping I'm going to put on you. It's, it's when David realizes, I need to know that you are dead so that when I go to sleep, I can look over in my tent and see your head sitting there and realize you ain't coming at me without a head. The enemy needs to know that you know who you are and that the weapons of your warfare... They are not fleshly weapons, but they are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, to the casting down of imaginations against every thought that exalts itself against God. This is how we fight our battles. You get your praise together. You get your worship together. David says, he teaches my hands to do battle and my fingers to make war. He's looking at that guitar that he's playing, and he says, that just may be something to you that just looks like an instrument, but I can make things happen. I can cause trouble to take place. I can dispel demonic figures just by worshiping my God with this instrument. Don't let anybody tell you your worship is useless. My God. So you look at this and we say, we got some arrows. Let's go strike the ground. Let's just go strike the ground. And you start striking the ground. And you hit it. And you hit it. And you hit it. And you look around for somebody to say, you're done. And you haven't heard that yet. And so you hit it some more. And you hit it some more. And when you get tired, you look it over somebody else. Your turn. But you don't want to stop hitting it because you're waiting for something to crack. You're waiting for something to break. You're waiting for something to come loose. There are a lot of folks who've been hitting at it and hitting at it and hitting at it. But there came a moment when we got tired and we just said, well, maybe. And in fact, they'll tell you, I don't think it takes all that. Oh, it takes that and more. It's when I get weary of what it is that I'm supposed to do because I'm distracted by things that are distracting me from things I need to be doing. And we are caught up with the distraction rather than caught up in your presence. There's a line in that song. You had a, tr- you had a problem with that. If you're not following me, 
I'm sorry. But this is the way I roll sometimes when I'm just following Jesus. Holy Spirit, where you want to go now? But anyway, I needed to explain the digressions that are riddling this message. <laughs> Sing with me. Caught up in your presence. Come on. I want to sit here at your holy moment. Where you been, man? Where? Aren't you? Uh, no, no, stop. I'm not here for bless. Then why are you here? Are you all understanding what I'm saying? See, we, we, sing, we, we sing things, and if God starts passing out blessings, you would just simply say, well, I'm not here for blessing. I just, I just, <laughs> look, I want both. I want presence, and I want blessing. I'm not going to sing myself someplace where I don't want to be because I'm I'm, I'm lying. I just kept saying, I'm not here. I, and, and my heart was saying, yes, you is. You're, <laughs> you are here for blessing. It's understanding that sometimes I'm trying to be so separate from this whole idea of being fanatical about this and I'm blessing oriented. But why not? Blessed are those. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And you're fasting and you're wanting, but God, I don't need a blessing. And blessing are those. <laughs> I'm not here. Yes, I am. Jesus, I am here. And, and to say to him, you don't owe me anything. <laughs> yes, he does. He owes you deliverance. He owes you goodness. He owes you mercy. You never asked for it. He promised it to you. We are walking through life trying to ignore what God's done for us because we didn't ask for it. But sometimes God doesn't care if you didn't ask for it. He doesn't care if you think you're not here for blessing. He just goes ahead and blesses you anyway. I am here for blessing. <laughs> Along with the, uh, look, I'm tithing. I tithe. I tithe. And the reason I tithe is because God told me I could tithe. And then he promised me that if I would tithe, he would open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing I wouldn't have room to receive. So I keep on tithing and he keeps on blessing me. I keep on tithing and he keeps on. You know why I tithe? Because he blesses me. Deliver me from religious stuff. What is God doing? Can I have five more minutes? How many will give me five more minutes? Five, ten, fifteen, twenty.
10 more minutes and you're screaming at the top of your lungs. Where do I want to go? Go with me to numbers. I'm seeking to give you precedence so that you won't just read the Bible, but you'll do the Bible. And you'll believe the God of the Bible. There's a prophet by the name of Balaam who was hired by a king to curse Israel. And every time he brought him to look at Israel, he would open his mouth to curse and a blessing would, would, would come out. And so Balak was getting frustrated with him. And so listen to these words. Verse 18 of Deuteronomy 23. Then he took up his discourse and said, Arise, O Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless, and when he is blessed, then I cannot revoke it. Nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord, his God, is with him. And then he then says, and the shout of a king is among them. The shout of a king is among them. The shout of a king is among us. The shout of a king is among us. When the shout of a king is among you, you can't be cursed. So when you feel like somebody's got a curse coming in your direction, you just lift up your voice and you shout. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. And majesty praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the, at the sound of your name. That's a song. But it tells you to do something. It tells you to shout. And so we sing shout but never shout. Clarence and I were at a, we were at an evangelical group of people. They loved Jesus. And they were, <laughs> but they couldn't dance. And so they were singing this song. <laughs> I, just, I get tickled every time I think of that. They're singing this song. We're dancing. Oh, I feel like dancing. It's foolishness, I know. But when the world has seen the light, they will rejoice like we're. And the way they were singing it was, they will dance with joy like we're dancing now. Do you understand? When they said dance, their dance was crazy. When they said dance, they danced like they were out of their ever-loving minds. David danced so crazily and so recklessly before the Ark of the Covenant. They would go every six paces, offer a sacrifice, and between those sacrifices, David was going at it. and He, he was not caring about how crazy he looked. 
And the only person who got offended was a member of his family. We don't do that here because we're concerned about those who are seeking God. And we're a seeker-sensitive church. No, a real seeker-sensitive church are seeking him. They want his presence. And they're saying, it does not, oh, it feels like foolishness to me. It's foolishness, I know. Look, I want to know, is it possible? God's saying to me, Joseph, are you willing to just look like an absolute fool on my behalf? I'm not here for blessings. <laughs> Jesus, you don't owe me. He says, you, I may not owe you anything, but you owe me a whole lot. And are you willing? Do you remember when David got locked up with the king of, of, of the Philistines and he walks in? And the guy recognizes David. And the Bible says, when David realized he knew who he was, King David, the giant killer, began to slobber all over his beard and scratch on the wall. And the Bible says he disguised his insanity. How do you disguise your, not your insanity, but your sanity? He disguised his sanity by acting crazy. Every now and then, church, if you're going to model something that David modeled, you're going to have to hide your sanity and act like you have lost your mind and that you're going for everything that God has for you and you're not going to let anything hold you back. Look at one last passage, one last passage. Everybody say this is the last one before the next one, all right? Go with me to 2 Kings chapter 3. And I need, uh, I need the worship team. You guys will just come back for a moment. Second Kings. When I'm in a new place, I've not been there before. I'll ask the question of God, why am I here? I didn't just take an invitation. I didn't just say, well, it's just good to be in the house of God, but God, why am I here? Recently, we went on a series of ministry trips, and I said to my wife, I'm looking for two things. I said, the first one, I'm looking for encounters. want to have felt like I had a meeting, a heart-to-heart -heart meeting, an encounter where like meets like, spirit meets spirit, and you're finding somebody who has like precious faith. I'm looking for encounters that will take me someplace where I can go, and when I get there, people have an encounter with him just because I was there. I'm not talking about being arrogant. I'm talking about what's the point in being Christian, anointed Christ, and nobody recognizes it. Nobody sees it. Nobody senses it. It's, it's sitting on a plane. We were sitting on a plane, and we had been on a, on a 
seven, ten day fasts, seven or ten day fasts, or ten day or fourteen day fasts. And um, and I was talking to Anthony, the guy who put that shirt idea together, and we were just fellowshipping on the plane, Southwest. Anything can happen on Southwest if God shows up. A whole lot happens when he doesn't. But Anthony, we were just talking about the goodness of God. We just come back from a meeting. And there's a flight attendant sitting over to my right on a bulkhead seat by the window. And so she came over and she said, can I ask you something? And I said, sure. She said, are you a holy man? She said, I've been sitting over here and I just feel these waves coming in my direction. Now, I, I wasn't sending any. I was just being who we were. We were thinking about the goodness of God. Just talking about his goodness. Think about his love. Think about his goodness. Think about the things he brought me through. And so we were thinking about it. We were just talking about it. Celebrating the journey and the, the smoke of our worship and the, the fragrance of our worship reached over and pulled her out of her seat to do something that she, she would not have dared to do under other circumstances. And I just told her, yes, I'm, I'm a bishop. And, and I began to tell her what was happening with her. And she said, if you keep on talking to me like that, I'm going to cry. I said, that's what I'm looking for. That's the kind of thing. I'm, I'm, it's a response that says, you have something. Somebody say encounter. I believe dwell has to be a place of encounters that releases encountering people into a world desperately in need of encounters because you can go and your encounters eventually will produce connections that you could never have had under any other circumstance. And you have had them already. A, a lot of you in this room, you've had them, but we didn't know how to, how to close the deal. This is a story it's in the Bible. It's one of those that I've been learning from. Jehoshaphat has aligned himself with the king of Israel, who is the son of Ahab and Jezebel. It's a bad relationship. And so they get stuck because Jehoshaphat has aligned himself with him to fight the enemies. And the scripture says Ahab tricked him into going into that battle. And when he went into that battle, the enemy king says, I don't want anybody to kill any of those little tizians of soldiers. Just go for Ahab. Now, Ahab had already said to Jehoshaphat, I'm going to disguise myself. You keep on wearing your robes. And so Jehoshaphat did. They looked and saw Jehoshaphat. And the Bible says, he lifted up his voice. He cried out. And when he cried out, 
They said, he's not Ahab. There's a passage in the scriptures that tell us that when we shout to the Lord, Psalm 47, 5 says, God will go up in the shout. God goes up in the midst of the shout. God will lift you up with him in the shout. It's like when I shout, something happens. And there are so many verses in the Bible that talk about shouting. That, and, and look, one verse in all of the Bible. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. How do you take one verse and balance it against 50 other verses that tell you to shout? And there are some things in your life that aren't going to happen until you start shouting. I prayed for people and the Lord said they're dealing with a spirit of timidity and passivity. And he said, tell them to shout. They're hungry for God, but they don't know hungry. And I just, just tell them, lift up your voice. And I say, can you lift up your voice and tell God, I want more. Shout it out. And they'll say, I want more. And I said, that's not a shout. I said, go ahead, try shouting. I want more. And they get a look. I said, like you are desperate and there's nothing else for you if God doesn't show up. And when they scream it out, it's like something breaks on the inside that releases something on the outside that pushes you up into what God has for you. When you shout, God hears the shout. When you shout, God gets in the shout. But sometimes the shout can't just happen one time. You got to shout and you got to shout and you got to shout. And when you get tired of shouting, you pass the shout on to somebody else and you say, shout until we have breakthrough. Shout until God gets done what he needs to get done. Shout until the thing that's holding you back lets go of you. Shout until you hear God say, I've heard the shout. Shout. Jesus, 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 Jesus. My watch has a warning that says loud environment. Sound levels hit 90 decibels around 30 minutes at this level. <laughs> Shout! 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 Oh! Yes! Yes! Hallelujah! Shout! Release the shout. Release the shout. Hey, come on. Jesus. 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 
What's interesting to me is that we live in a world where the new temples of worship are in stadiums where they don't mind shouting over something that's not going to last. They're unwilling to see that this stadium has more power. You, you, can, get, you can get people, when you say to them, you want to come to church with me this Sunday? And the first thing they'll say is, how long does it last? Or if you say to them, I've got two tickets on the 50-yard line for the Cowboys. Can you go? Let me just tell my wife I can't go shopping with her and tell the kids I can't take them to the games. They will adjust their world because of their priority. And when they get there, if the Cowboys are losing, sorry to even say that word in relation to the Cowboys, but if the Cowboys are losing, nobody's cheering. But you let them make one touchdown. Let them begin to, to think that they're going to move the ball. You, you will start shouting before you see the victory change, the score changes. Shout for the victory even before you can see it. If all you can see is a blade of grass, if all you can see is that little green thing coming up, that green thing is saying to you, there's more coming. There's more coming. And if you can celebrate the more before you see the more, I'll give you more to shout. I'll give you more to celebrate. I'll give you more to praise me. And then, see, I, I, think, I think of shouting like when Elijah said, Elisha said, I need a minstrel because I have no word for you. And the minstrel came and began to play. And the Bible says, as the minstrel began to play, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. And he said, go out there in that dry riverbed and start digging holes because water is coming. You won't see wind and you won't see rain, but make this valley full of ditches. How do you make the valley full of ditches? By keep on digging, by keep on hammering, by keep on slamming the ground with your arrows, by shooting arrows out to the window and not stopping until you see the floods coming. On the other side of that mountain, there's a rain cloud forming and you can't see it on the other side of the mountain, but because you are here digging and stomping and crying out and weeping and being broken before God, something starts to happen until suddenly somebody who's like a psalmist will say, here comes the glory of the Lord. Here comes the glory. Because you will see it with your eyes. You'll begin to understand. These are not just sweet songs. They're prophetic songs, and if we will declare what God's put in our heart to declare, if we will believe what God's put in our heart to believe, if we will say what God's put in our heart to say, we will see the glory. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, 
visit us at dwell.church.